Welcome back, everyone, to another segment of Rabbi Jeff's Pirkei Avashir, where we attempt to understand the meaning behind the instructions of our sages and how it's relevant to our lives today. We do this, of course, using the thoughts of our teachers before us and try to make them applicable to our times. Feel free, please, to contact me with any comments or questions at rjfromlj at aol.com. All right, so you'll notice on the side, I put up two Mishnayas, and it will become apparent in just a moment why I put two Mishnayas up. Um, today is the completion of the first chapter of Pirkei Avos, which is um, a moment of great seum. If we were um, learning live, so then we would have had some uh, some food and you know a little bit of a, a little bit of a celebration. But um, everybody can BYOC, bring your own cake. Okay, let's take a look at the Mishnah. the The conclusion. This is the the um, high point, the crescendo of chapter one of Pirkei Avos. Rabbi Shimon Gamliel, Gamliel says, "Al shlosha dvarim ha'olam omed." On three things, the world stands. Aladin, on justice. Ala emes, on truth. Viala shalom, and on peace. You know, you sort of imagine to see Superman standing there. You know, in the American way, like what? What is that? That that this? I mean, you look at it very, very clearly, and it's just a repetition of the second Mishnah. And I put the second Mishnah up on the side so you can see it. Shimon Tzadikai Mishari Knesagadola, who are Omer Al Shlosha Dvarim Aolamomid on three things the world stands. On Din, on on Torah Avoda, and on Gmilus Chasadim. Now. It happens to be that there is a, another girsa of this Mishnah another version which says Ashlosha Dvarim Haulam Kayam. But the truth is is that what I'm going to say today is go, could could be applied whether you read the Mishnah as Ashlosha Dvarim Olam Omed on three things the world stands or on three things the world is Kayam, the world exists. Either way, the question is huge. That the the the, the parak of Perkei starts with three things the world stands on, and it ends with three things the world stands on. Why was it necessary for the Tana, Rabbi? Yehuda Anasi, Judah the Prince, who was the editor-in-chief of the Mishnayis, why did he feel that these bookends were necessary? It seems really to be a just a repetition. And granted, one of them says Kayam, and one of them says Omeid, and many people try to make a differentiation between them, that there's a difference between Kayam, that was the beginning of the world, Omeid is the sustenance of the world, but I think that there's something much, much more profound and much deeper in this Mishnah, and I think that it ties the entire chapter together, and we'll do that at the very end. Okay, so what exactly is this Mishnah teaching us that we don't already know, and why are the words different, din, shalom, din, emes, and shalom, from Torah, 
avoda and gemilus chasadim. What is it that we're waiting for in this world? We are waiting for, we're pining away for geula, for the redemption. When we talk about the redemption, we talk about the ultimate geula, the ultimate salvation of the Jewish people. We're talking about the first stage of that redemption, which is Yemaisa Mashiach, which is Messianic times. When we're waiting for Messianic times, we're waiting, of course, for the advent of Mashiach, but it's not the Mashiach itself that is the center point and the critical thing that we're pining away for. It's really what Mashiach does. It's what Mashiach means, what he does, what he's going to bring into the world. And that with Yemaisa Mashiach comes a clarity, comes a gilui hashchina, comes a revelation of the divine presence. And the greatest place that that divine presence becomes manifest is in the Mikdash, is in the temple. And really what we're pining away for is the rebuilding of that Besa Mikdash with all of its implications, with everything that it means for us and everything that it's going to do for us. We know that the Besa Mikdash was the place of Hashras Hashrina. It was the place of where the divine presence entered into this world. We know that in the Aron, in the Ark, on top of the Ark were two cherubs, were two Keruvim, facing each other, one with the face of a boy, one with the face of a girl. And it was Davka, the children's faces, from the center came and emanated the divine presence, the Shekhinah. Because the divine presence comes into this world through the Hevel Piyam, Shaltinokas Bashabes Rabban, through the beautiful sounds, the pure sounds of the Torah of children, that's the connection between us and the Shekhinah. That's the place of the embarkation of the a divine presence into this world. The Mikdash was a place where there was a Saranisim, there were 10 miracles every day. The Mishnah, which we'll learn much later in Prikyavas, talks about the 10 miracles that were done. And it was a place where you felt the presence of God. The reason why when we go to the Kotel today, we feel this incredible feeling is because we're feeling the remnants of the Shekhinah of the Divine Presence, which God promised through the prophets, was never going to depart the Jewish people and was never going to depart from behind the Kaisal, from behind that wall. Whatever that means in a, in a real sense, what it means is that when we go there to the, to, to the place of where the temple once stood, we're still feeling those sparks of Kedusha, those sparks of holiness. You know, if you've ever been to the Tayelet, in, um, you know, that overlooks, that, that overlooks the, the Mikdash, that overlooks the, the old city, and you stand there on the Tayelet, and you see over, you see what, what Avram saw. When Avram Avinu came to, the, came to the mountain to do the Akedah, and in the time of the Mikdash, any of the Jews that were coming from that direction to be Ola Regal, they would come and they would see the whole silhouette of the Besa Mikdash. They would see the silhouette of the mountain. And what they saw was they saw a pillar of smoke that was coming from the Mizbeach and that was going all the way up to the, to the sky. The pillar of smoke was literally a pillar and it didn't deviate not to the right or to the left, no matter what the weather was like in Yushalayim, no matter how the winds were raging, no matter how it was raining, the pillar of smoke emanated from that Mizbeach 365 days a year. When you saw that, 
you saw God. You didn't need any discovery programs. You didn't need any kind of cure of movements. You didn't need anything. You just went to the mikdash. You opened your eyes and you saw God. You saw the hashras hashchina. You saw the divine presence resting over the Jewish people. The temple was the place called the Makam Achibur. It was the place of attachment between Olam Azeh and Olam Abba, between this world and the next world, between our world and God's world. It was a place that was God's Dira B'Tachtonim. It was God's dwelling place here on earth. That's what we're pining away for. That God, we're waiting that our eyes should see you coming back to to Berachemim to Tzion with mercy to Tzion, and to give us that that building, to give us that mikdash, but not the building, to give us the hashras hashchina, to give us that divine presence, so that we can be enveloped in the presence of God. What are Torah, Avoda, and Gemilus Chasadim? Those are the three vehicles for Hashra's Hashchino, for the divine presence to come into this world. Through Torah, through which we say is the word of God, we'll talk about more in a second. Through the Masa Karbanos, the, the, the actions of Karbanos, of sacrifices. And through Gemilus Chasadim, which represents the Achtus, the oneness, the connection of the Jewish people, that's how the Shechina, the divine presence, rests in the world and rests over the Jewish people. Shimon Tzadik saw the rebuilding of the Beis HaMikdash. He saw the reinstitution of the Kedusha, of the holiness and the sanctity, albeit different than the first temple, not with the full Hashra as Hashchina, but nevertheless he recognized that the temple was the basis. Al Shlosha Dvarim Olam Omeid, he said, on three things the temple stands. To bring this Hashra as Hashchina, you need sacrifices, you need Torah, you need Achtus and Klayusol, you need Gemilus Chasadim. Torah, we know that the Mikdash was the place of Torah. Every Shabbos, every day, every Monday, Thursday, when we take the Torah out of the ark, we say, from Zion shall come forth Torah and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Did you ever stop and think about that? I don't know what you learned in, in grade school, but I learned that that the Torah can't us from Sinai. The very first mission in Perkyava says, Moshe Kibbal Torah me Sinai. What in the word the world does the Pasuk mean? Kimitzion Tetzay Torah, that from Zion shall come forth Torah. Because once Har Sinai was finished and the Torah was given to the Jewish people, there was a transference that took place of that Kedusha of Har Sinai. And that transference went over to the Mikdash, first to the Mishkan, to the tabernacle in the desert, and then to the Mikdash in Jerusalem. That's the reason why we have no idea where Mount Sinai is. Now, there is some Arab guy that knows, and he charges money for you to go and see it. But we don't know where Har Sinai is. 
And the reason is, is because her Sinai does not have for us that kind of Kedusha. It is a historical place. It is a place where an event took place for us. A seminal event took place for us. But that Kedushas Hahar was transferred over to the Mikdash, and now it becomes Kimitzion Teitzei Torah. In, in the Sanhedrin that sat specifically on the top of Mount Zion, in the Lishkas Agazis, in the Chamber of Hewn Stone, there were myriads of Talmidei Chachamim. There were, there were just in the Sanhedrin, the way that the Sanhedrin was set up, more than 255 Torah giants between the main Sanhedrin of 71 and then the two smaller ones of, 30, uh, of 36, and then of, of the additional, of 33, and then of the additional sages that joined on to these, it was teeming with Torah scholars and the elite, the premier of the Jewish people. When Devorah wanted that her husband should become a Tamil Chacham, her husband, the Amharetz, Mr. Lapidus, and she wanted him to become, she was Aishas Lapidos. And the Chazal say, why was she called Aishas Lapidos? Because she made the wicks for the temple and she never asked for any covet. Her husband got all the covet. She turns him one day, she says, do me a favor, take the wicks to the temple. So he brings the wicks to the temple and he drops them off. They say, Shkayach, thank you very much. And he goes home. Next day he brings them and they say, what's your name? Oh, Lapidus, nice. Next day, they start to talk to him more. Eventually, they invite him for coffee. He sits around. They invite him to learn Torah. And he sits there in the, in the Mishkan. And day by day, he stays longer and longer and longer and longer. And eventually, he becomes himself a Tamil Chacham. Our rabbis apply the verse to Devorah that the wisdom of a woman builds her house because she understood if she told her husband, you're an Amorich, you need to learn more Torah, he would go the other direction. But if she influenced him to go to the Mikdash, she knew that in the Mikdash, that was the place you become uplifted because of the Torah that was there. That's what the Besa Mikdash was. The Besa Mikdash was a place where the Sanhedrin was, Kimitzion Teitzei Torah, and it was because of that that there was a Hashua Sashchina, that there was a resting of the Divine Presence. There was no Machlokas for most of the years of the Beis HaMikdosh, inside of the Beis HaMikdosh, because Torah scholars bring peace to the world. When we daven every single day, and we say the words, God, bring our judges back like the way they were in the beginning. Because as long as the Sanhedrin was around, then the covet of Hashem is, it's all over, it spreads over the whole world. What we're really asking for to go back to the Sanhedrin is we're asking for the Shekhinah, the Divine Presence, to rest once again amongst us. Because God, who speaks to us through His Torah, davening is the way we speak to God. Torah learning is the way God speaks to us. And when God speaks to us, the Divine Presence, the Shekhinah, comes down and rests on us. The Mishnah later in the next parak in Perky office is going to talk about when three people are sitting and learning, when five people are learning, when ten people gather together. The Shekhinah, the Divine Presence, rests amongst them because when we're learning Torah, there is a Shekhinah, there is a Divine Presence. This is what Shimon Tzadik understood. 
the first installment, it's the first leg of the tripod that brings the Shechina, that brings the Divine Presence. The second leg is Avaidah. Avaidah is the Iker Tachlis, the main point, the whole purpose of the Beis HaMikdash. We know that the word carbon sacrifice is karav, is to draw close. Because by offering a part of ourselves to God, to taking part of our money, part of our, our material possessions and offering them to God, we were in essence, according to the Ramban, offering ourselves up on the, on the altar. When we took a sin offering and we slaughtered that animal, we weren't slaughtering an animal, we were slaughtering our sinful selves. We were taking our nefesh behemi, our lowest part of ourselves, and we were offering that up to God. With the, the, with the eyes and the legs and the body of the animal, it was all representing us and what we had done wrong. When we finished with the whole experience of bringing a sin offering to the temple, we weren't in a place that we were going to repeat that sin a second time. The most beautiful day in the world, say our sages, was Erev Pesach. Because what they did on Erev Pesach was they plugged up the drains of the, of the Mikdash. And the reason that they plugged up the drains of the Azara was so that the blood wouldn't drain out, so that by the end of the day, of the three waves of when they slaughtered the sacrifice, the Korban Pesach, they would be able to scoop up blood from the Azara and toss that on the altar just in case any blood spilt and they wouldn't be able to have, no, the person wouldn't have been able to do the sprinkling of the blood for his sacrifice. This way, they, where they took one cup, which took all the blood, represented all the blood. And this way, a person, because that's the main part of a sacrifice, is the tossing the blood on the altar. It's called the most beautiful day. When I say that to people, people cringe. Can you imagine walking knee deep in blood? Oh, that's beautiful, right? No one's going no to do that in their house. You know, I was thinking of remodeling, maybe putting a little blood on the floor. Like, what does that mean that it was the most beautiful day? Because it represented our hiscarvus, our drawing close to God. Because that's what sacrifices, that, that's what korbanos were. By the way, that's the reason why. What's the first book of the Torah you teach a child? So everybody thinks you teach Bracious. Tell them the story of creation. Tell them the story of Noah, of Abraham. Those are exciting stories. No, no, the Torah tells us vayikra. It said the, the word Vayikra was written with a small Aleph. And the instruction on the side of the Chumash says Aleph Zi'ira. Aleph Zi'ira means a small Aleph, but it also means Aluf Zi'ira, teach the young ones. And that traditionally was the first Chumash that a child learned. You know why? Because when a six-year-old learns about sacrificing animals, a six-year-old learns about, about slaughtering animals, a six-year-old goes, especially a six-year-old boy, wow, that's so cool. Yeah. A 40-year-old lady hears that and she goes, oh, that's disgusting. What's the matter with you, you slaughtering animals? When, a, when, a person, when, a, when an older person listens to that and says, that, what craziness, you're killing animals for what reason? You're just, you're just wasting the world. But when a kid hears about it, it sounds amazing to them. And then as they become older, it's something that they have already assimilated that there is this concept called carbonus, this concept called sacrifices. Sacrifices is what we pray for. Barring the Rambam's opinion, we are praying for that moment that sacrifices return to the Jewish people because that's the center of the Hashra Shechina. It is the vehicle that the divine presence came to the Jewish people. When Shlomo Melech built the base of Mikdash, he spent two weeks. They didn't fast that Yom Kippur 
of the year they dedicated the, the temple because they made, there was a massive party, a barbecue for two weeks. Could you imagine? And, and they were just, they were fressing busser. I mean, you know, you sometimes wish back for old times. It sounds amazing. And then it says that they came home and they came home and they were smechim v'tuve leiv. After this whole party, they came home happy and of good and of, and of good spirit. So Rashi, based on the Gemara, explains that the reason is because they had just experienced Hashra Sashchina. They had just seen the divine presence, which made them happy. So the commentaries ask, wait a second, how did Rashi know that they experienced the divine presence? It doesn't say that. It says that they sat in the Mikdash, they sat in the temple. How does Rashi know that there they saw the divine presence through all the sacrifices? So I heard once a very beautiful explanation from my Rebbe, that the reason that Rashi knew that they were happy is because they had just, many of them traveled for two weeks back from Jerusalem to their homes. They traveled by cart, not by jet. They traveled with their whole family, all their children. Rabbi used to say, what's the biggest oxymoron in the world? Family vacation. Right? They were traveling with their family. They were going back two weeks in the rainy season. This was after Sukkot. It was in the rainy season. They get home with all their cows, all their sheep, with the, the kitchen sink was with them. They finally get home and they're still happy. The only thing that could have brought them that happiness is that they were nana miziv hashchina, that they derived pleasure from the divine presence. Because that's what happened in the temple. With the Torah, with the sacrifices, there was hashras hashchina. And there was a third leg. And the third leg for hashras hashchina was gemilus chasadim was Jerusalem, as we mentioned, was, as it says in the Shira Malises, in, in Tehillim, it's an ir shechubal ayachtov, it's a city that drew us together. There were so many miracles, not for individual Jews, the miracles in Jerusalem every day were for the klal, were for the whole Jewish people, because we had practiced this gemilus chasadim. We would stand inside the temple, it says, omdim tzfufim, we would stand crowded, so crowded that you couldn't even move your arm, that people would have to shift in order for you to be able to move your arm. You were so packed in. But when it came time, when you heard the ineffable name of God, and it came time to bow, we would spread eagle and we would lie down on the ground and there was room for every single Jew to spread. You know why? Because when you're omdim tzvufim, when you're standing worried about you, so then there's no room, it's tzofuf, it's packed. But when mishtachavim, when we bow to each other, when we give space for each other, then revachim, there's plenty of room. That's what Jerusalem was. It was a place of plenty of room. It was a place of bracha. It was a place of ashras hashchin, of divine presence, because of the kindness. No one ever couldn't find the place to be for the, for the holidays. Imagine all of Israel came into Jerusalem for the holidays. They didn't have these massive hotels, right? The Waldorf wasn't around yet. So how do, where did they stay? They stayed with people. There was never a person that went to Jerusalem and said, I can't find a place to stay. There was always enough room. It was like the walls of Jerusalem expanded and expanded because of the divine presence. And the divine presence was brought because of Torah, because of sacrifices, and because of Gemilus Chasadim. And this is what Shimon HaTzadik was teaching us at the very beginning of this chapter, that when there is Hashras, Hashchina, we have the world stands, the world exists. But then the temple was destroyed. Then there was Churban Bayas. 
and there was no longer Kimitzion Tetzei Torah. There was no longer Avedas HaKorbanos. There was no longer Gemilus Chasadim. So comes Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel, and Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel says the world has changed, but not the principles. It's just that those principles now and those methodologies to bring the Shekhinah, the divine presence, have to be readjusted. When the temple is around, it's the pure Torah, it's the study of Torah, it's the Hira'a, it's the teaching of the Torah, it's the paskening, it's the, 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 the way, the whole Sanhedrin, that's what brings the Shekhinah. We don't have that anymore. But now we have Din. We have the laws of the Torah, we have the living of the Torah. We have the Dinim of the Torah, we have the discipline of the Torah. And when we live by that, that brings the Shekhinah, that brings the Divine Presence into the world. We no longer have Maisa Karbonus. We don't have the sacrifices. But we have Tefillah. We have Tefillah, which brings us closer to God, which lets us see His MS, which lets us see His truth in the world. By declaring our relationship with him, by declaring our belief in his presence, by verbalizing his presence in this world, by verbalizing his truth. We know the seal of God, the signet of God is truth. That's the way we see him in the world. The more we talk about his truth, the more we see his truth. We won't see it through sacrifices. We won't benefit from the Hashra's Hashkina, from the divine presence that comes through sacrifices, but we will benefit from it the more we reaffirm our belief in his truth and our ability to be able to see his MS, his truth in this world. The Allah Shalom. We no longer have the Gemilus Chasadim. We no longer have the Ir Shechubar Layachtov. We no longer have that city that draws us together. We don't have that place that brings us together. But we still have an ability to be able to make Shalom. We still have an ability to be able to make, to make peace and to bring love to each other. We still have an ability to be able to be Ma'achid, to draw us together. And it's through that Achtos that we have the ability to be able to be mashra the Shekhinah. Yes, says Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel, the world changed. But what it stands for, that didn't change. The methodology how to bring the divine presence changed. It's no longer Torah, Voda, Gemilus, Chasadim. Now it's in the guise of Din, Emerson, Shalom. But in a world bereft of a temple, we still have that ability to be able to bring the divine presence and to feel that Hashra Sashchina in our lives. And that's why Rabbi Shimon is not repeating what Shimon Atzadik said, he's applying it to his generation. And then I looked at this and I said, wow. Who wrote, who edited the Mishnah? His son, Rabbi Yehuda Anasi. Just like every one of these rabbis was speaking to their generation, Yehuda Anasi was speaking to every subsequent generation from him who was going to open the book and learn Pirkei Avos. And he turns to every subsequent generation and he says to them, 
What's the message I want you to get from chapter one of Pirkei Avos? That you need to adapt to the world you live in. Mm. Musser is not universal. In the time of the prophets, there was one type of Musser. In the time of the second temple, in the time of Chachma, there was a second type of Musser. Post-temple, which is the 2,000 years that we've been living in, there is another approach. And in every generation, you have to adapt your teaching methodology, your learning methodology, your connection has to be adapted. Not the Torah has to be adapted to the generation, but it's how we apply that Torah, how we connect ourselves to that Torah that needs to adapt in every generation. And that was the Musr of Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi. He puts Shimon at Sadiq's Mishnah in the beginning. He puts his father's Mishnah at the end. And he tells us that this is teaching us you've got to adapt. When you adapt, you grow and the Shechina stays with you. So normally at the end of a parak in Gemara and Talmud, or even sometimes in Mishnayos, we say, Hajanullah, that we return to you and you, this parak, will return to us. The knowledge that we gain from this parak has attached itself to our souls. And our souls have attached themselves to this parak. We will never be separated from this parak, and this parak will never be separated from us. And as I always say, one down, five to go. Okay, mazel tov to all those who started from the beginning, mazel tov to all those who came in the middle, and mazel tov to all those that came at the 